Well, good morning. How we doing? Good. Yeah. Man, you guys probably have the same thought that I have right now. Oh my gosh, they let the worship guy preach today. <laughs> they must have had zero options. No, they had they had options and they chose me. So, if this goes poor, it's my fault. It's no one else's fault. <laughs> um, but no, I'm excited to, to, to preach to you guys today. If you don't know me, my name is Chase Buchanan, and I'm the worship pastor here. We have been here for seven years, and it, I swear I can, I can just blink, and I just feel like it's just gone by so fast. But we, we love it here. We love this church. We love you guys. Um, if you don't know my family, I've got a picture. Uh, this is my family. This is my wife, Raven, that comes up. There it is. Hey, there we are. That's, we just had that done. This is my wife, Raven. It's my son, Owen, and that is our little girl, Josie, that we just had. She's a month old. We got some more pictures here. Look at that. Is that not just a little potato? Look at that. Is that not, not the sweetest thing you've ever seen? I got another one. Look at this, this little goofy kid there. Yeah, he's such a sweet boy. All right, guys, that's all I have. I'll see you later. I'm just kidding. <clears throat> um, no, but we've been in this series about entitlement, and it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun. Um, I'm just uh, I'm excited to be able to preach preach to you guys today about this specific topic. I've been praying about it really hard, been thinking about it a lot the past few weeks, and um, we've been in this series called Pride. We've talked about pretending, talked about running, uh, insecurity. We've talked about um, destruction, and if you watch Sesame Street, today's brought to you by the letter E for entitlement, and um, It's going to be good, so I'm excited. Um, Let me pray, and uh, we'll get into it. God, thank you for today. God, thank you for this this privilege that we have, God, to to be able to come into this place and to be able to worship you. God, I know I take it for granted more often than I care to admit, Lord. God, just the idea that we can be here safely um, and meet with you and and be with each other and be encouraged, God. Lord, open our eyes to see you today as we talk about this and as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever had a leak in your house? Is that not just the scariest thing in the whole planet? As I've become a dad and as I've gotten older, just the idea of a leak in my house is just the scariest thing to me because it's just something that I'm going to have to pay for, I'm going to have to fix. But about eight years ago, we were living in a house. It was, uh, it was a two-story house. I don't want to brag, but it was two stories. And um, one day I came home early from work, and it was about 2 o'clock. I usually come home at 5, but I came home at 2, and I got into the garage, and I, I opened the garage, the door from the garage to the kitchen. And as soon as I opened the door and I look up, there is a massive hole in the ceiling, and water is pouring down. And it, guys, I'm not exaggerating. The hole was probably like 5 feet and diameter, and there's just water pouring down, and I start freaking out, going insane. I don't know what to do. Thankfully, I was able to go and, and turn the water off, and I come back inside. There's insulation on the floor, and comes it, 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 um, there was, I don't know if you know this or not, but somebody had the bright idea to put water heaters upstairs. I don't know who that person is, if I could find you and just tell you what I think, but our water heater had a little crack in the pipe, and it was squirting water out, and it was filling up that attic space and the insulation. And over time, it we never knew. We never saw it, and it just collapsed. And it, oh, my gosh, guys, I cannot, I cannot express to you how awful it was. It ruined 
the hardwood floors. It had to get new, um, new floors put in. And uh, gosh, it was crazy. It was awful. But I share that because to me, entitlement is one of those things. It's one of those sins that it, it can be kind of like a leak in a house. You know, it's kind of, it can be slow. It can be subtle. It can be something that you don't even know it's there. Or it can be something that's loud. It can be fast, like a fire hose. It can be like just water coming in hard. But just like that, it destroys everything that it touches. You know, if you leave something in water for too long, it'll just, it just eats away at it. It destroys it. But you don't find it usually until it's too late or until it's, it's done its damage. Um, so what, what is entitlement? When I first heard the word entitlement, I was probably 15 or 16 but I'm sure you guys remember this, but there was this weird movement. There was this weird thing about how, about how millennials, the millennial generation was entitled. They were lazy. They don't want to work. Um, that was the first time I heard that word, and I never thought about that. I don't, I mean, obviously I don't, I don't think that's true about millennials, but that's just the first time I heard that word. And I feel like it's a word that we use now a lot, but, you know, it's for good reason because I do feel like it's very, very prevalent in our day and age today. But how do we define the word entitlement? Entitlement, we're in this pride series, it's a form of pride. It's a form of selfishness. The definition that, um, that I came up with that I think is, is the most accurate for how we're going to talk about it today is entitlement is the belief that we inherently deserve privileges or special treatments or that we have the right to something. It's like a form of being selfish. Not only do you want something or you desire something, but you feel like you deserve it. You feel like you've, you've earned it. You feel like it belongs to you. You have an expectation of how you expect to be treated by other people and by the world. We all know people like that, right? You know, I'm sure as I'm talking about it, you're all kind of thinking of people in your mind, you know, like people that don't don't return the shopping carts to where they're supposed to go. <laughs> that drives me insane. Um, but the truth is today, it's you and it's me. It's all of us. We're all entitled. We're all entitled. And it's more prevalent right now in our culture than ever before. The older I get, the more that I just see how the world is just becoming more and more prideful and more selfish. And it takes many forms. It causes relationship problems. It causes marriage problems. Imagine being in a marriage that's rooted in entitlement. You know, you have one person that expects things to be a certain way. They set the expectation that we're going to have this house. We're going to drive this car. We're going to take this trip. You're going to be this for me. And if not, I'm going to end it or whatever. You know, it can, get, it can go really bad very quickly. Or imagine being... Um, Imagine being in a friendship with someone, or in a job, or in a work relationship. And as we'll see, it, it affects our relationship to God, ultimately. And it's grown deep roots into our society and our culture in so many ways. We do live in a very self-centered and very egotistical world. But think about how good we have it here in America in particular. We live our lives so ungrateful of just how blessed we are and what are some examples of that and I feel like as I was thinking about this I came up with a lot of really funny ideas and a lot of really just little subtle forms of entitlement but the more I thought about it it just it's crazy like what about the the debt problem that we have in America you know like not just 
us as people, but think about our government, you know, $30 trillion in debt. I'm not trying to get political, but that's just insane. That's so much money. That is insane that we are in debt that much. And as people, like we, we feel like we're entitled to whatever we want. So we'll just go into debt because we want it. We feel like we deserve it. It's the way people market their products now. You know, it's the way companies market to us. Like you deserve this. You've earned this, you know, so just get it. Zero money down. It's okay. You know, like, it's crazy. I remember, I'm, you know, I, I say all this, like, I'm the, I'm the chief of sinners. And I just, as I've, as I've thought about this, I've just realized just how entitled I am. I don't want this to sound like I'm not. I remember whenever COVID started, and I remember we subscribed to Amazon. I don't want to brag, again. But we have Amazon. And when you order something on Amazon, it's like magic. You just order something, and it shows up at your house in two days, we have so many boxes at our house. <laughs> it drives me crazy. But you order something, and it's there in two days. And I remember when COVID started, it started taking a little longer than two days. You know, it took three, four, five. And if you wanted toilet paper, you couldn't get it. You know, like, who, who needs that amount of toilet paper, and where is it now? That's crazy to me. But I remember feeling just so mad and just so like, what the crap? Like, I ordered this thing, and it's not here. I need it. So entitled, you know? Like... And it even affects sports. You know, I, I grew up in Alabama. I'm a Bama fan. Roll Tide. Sorry, not sorry. I knew that was going to happen. Oh. Um, but everyone knows that about me. But I'm pretty sure entitlement is the reason that Alabama lost to Texas A&M last year. You know? Like, they, they think just because we're Alabama and we've won so many games, so many championships, we can just show up and play and not prepare, and they lose to A&M, of all people. I don't think that's why they lost to Georgia, though. I feel like that was a good game. But we'll see, we'll see if entitlement creeps in for the Bulldogs this fall. <laughs> oh, man. But it's in our culture, and we're told that if someone interferes with your happiness, that somehow you've been wronged, you know? We're told that personal happiness is the key to individual flourishing. But the reality is, is that because of our sinful nature, we are prone to wander into the clutches of entitlement. When we wake up in the morning, all we think about is ourselves. Our mind, our mind immediately goes into me mode. And uh, I know I'm not the only one, but that's, that's so true for me. When things start to become the slightest bit difficult for us, or our expectations aren't met, we slip into entitlement. But in order to overcome this, we have to shift our expectations to biblical expectations. And that's what I want us to try to do today. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. And this is a parable. Jesus would often speak in parables when he was teaching because he wouldn't speak so plainly because he wanted people to listen and engage with what he was talking about. And it worked. Sometimes they're kind of hard to understand, but we're going to try to do our best today. But Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. We'll start there. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. So it starts out for the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, if you don't know what that is, it's a lot like the kingdom of God. Sometimes that's the phrase they use in the other gospels. The kingdom of God, it symbolizes God's kingdom and one that all believers, all true believers, will inherit one day and inhabit. So you have these workers 
they are out in the town square, and the master of this vineyard went out and he found these guys. The town square in this story at this time was kind of like uh, it's kind of like the job center for the day. You know, they don't have Monster.com or whatever the kids use these days. You know, like LinkedIn or something, whatever. Um, that was how they got hired. They're out in this place. They're wanting to find a job. They want guys to come out hiring them. And it says that they agreed for a denarius a day. A denarius was like a day's wage during this time. So let's just say it was 100 bucks. You know, that's, that's not bad, right? Um, so let's keep reading. Verse 3. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. So about the third hour. It's about 9 o'clock. And he goes back out into the marketplace. And he gets more workers. He gets more guys to come in and work. And verse 4 says, And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. So the 6 a.m. crew has been working for quite a few hours, and he finds this other crew to come in and work. The difference between this group and the first group is, is that he doesn't tell them what he's going to pay them. He just says that he's going to pay them whatever is right. I will give you. And that phrase stood out to me. Because I don't know if you guys are like me, but if a boss ever tried to hire me for a job and he just said, you know what, you go outside in the South Georgia heat and you work in my vineyard and I'll just pay you, I'll just pay you whatever's right. I would never do that in a million years. <laughs> it is so hot here. Um, but that's just interesting to me that he used that phrase, whatever is right. Um, if, you can't tell by the, if you can't tell by now in this story, um, I'm just going to give away the ending, I guess. The master is God in this story, and the workers are us. And I feel like these 9 a.m. guys, these third-hour workers, I feel like it just kind of shows us how, how desperate they were to work, how desperate they needed this. And I feel like that's a really simple picture of how desperately we need God. So I want to ask you this fundamental question. You know, the phrase is, whatever is right, in that verse, verse 4. I want to ask you this question this morning. Do you, do you believe that God knows what's right for you? Do you believe that God knows what's right for you? Matthew chapter 6, verse 8 says this. It says, Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. I do believe that God knows what's right for us. But the truth is, though, that we, we don't like to give up control. And I feel like that's a problem. So, my first point this morning is entitlement is a control problem, and we must let go of it. Entitlement is a control problem, and we must let go of it. I don't know if you're like me, but I love to be in control. I'm always the guy I don't. I usually get really nervous when other people drive. My wife gets really nervous when I drive. I don't know why I'm a good driver, you know? I don't know why. But I get so nervous, like, I, I get seriously anxious. If I'm in the back of the car, I get car sick. It just, it scares me to death. Because I know if I'm driving, we won't die, you know? But if someone else is driving, there's a good chance we're going to die. It's going to be, it's terrifying. But God, here's the truth, though. But God ultimately is sovereign, and he is in control. But he wants us to trust him. God has a better plan. That's the truth. He wants us to trust him because he has a better plan. Matthew 7 says this. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to make, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? 
So the Father knows what we need. Just like we know how to give good, give good presents to our children or to our family or our friends, God knows even more what we need and what we want. Um, I remember one time I was talking with a friend of mine, and it was about 10 years ago. I don't remember the specifics of the conversation, but I remember this one part stood out to me, and I'll never forget it. It was probably one of the most clear, arrogant statements I've ever heard in my life. And I was talking with a friend of mine, and I won't say his name. It's been a long time. And we were talking about something. We were talking about, I think it was either a relationship he was in, about this girl he was dating, or it was about what he should do, like where he should live, or something. It was something like that. It was a serious, it was a serious conversation. And I'll never remember, I, and I'll never forget, I, I told him what I thought. I gave him advice, and I used these words. I said, um, maybe that's what's best for you. Maybe that's, maybe that's what's best for you right now, is that you do this or do that. And he, I'll never forget this. He looked me square in the eyes, and he said, let's get one thing straight. No one knows what's best for me except for me. And I was like, oh, my gosh. i got to get out of here. Um, we're not friends really anymore, not because of that, but for other reasons. But I just remember hearing that and just being, like, shook, like, oh, my gosh, that is the most arrogant thing I've ever heard in my life. But it got me thinking about how blunt and how arrogant that statement was. But the truth is, though, we may not say it. We may not live that way clearly, but in a lot of ways, subtly and subconsciously, that's how a lot of us live. I know it's how I live sometimes, and it's how we think, but we never say it. The idea that no one knows what's best for me except for me, but maybe, maybe you're here today and you just need to open up to that, that simple idea that someone else knows what's best for you. You know, maybe we just need to get to that point of humility this morning that just Maybe someone else knows what's best for you, and it's God. That someone is God. We don't know what God has for us if we surrender everything, but we do know it's better than anything that we could ever do for ourselves under our own strength. Some of us would rather miss out on what God has for us than give up control. We become so entitled and comfortable in our relationship with God I don't know if you remember this, but in Matthew 4, when Jesus calls his first disciples, Simon and Peter, it says that when he called them, he said he'd make them fishers of men. It says that they, they laid down their nets immediately and followed him. It didn't take an emotional plea from a pastor. It didn't take an emotional song during a set on a Sunday morning. They just gave it up right then and there. They just surrendered, to, they just surrendered control to him right then and there. I will give them this. Jesus was right in front of them. If Jesus was in front of me, I probably would do it too. But they didn't know that entirely then yet. And then it says after that, when Jesus called James and John, it says that they left their father and their boat. They left their boat. I don't know if I would leave a boat. I'm just kidding. I've always wanted one. To me, that's just the coolest thing, to have a boat. But they left their boat. And they left their dad just to follow Jesus. They gave Jesus control. They gave him everything. Right after that, right after they left everything and they gave God control, it says that they went through all of Galilee teaching and proclaiming the gospel and healing every disease and every affliction. It says that they brought Jesus the sick, those with diseases, pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, paralytics, paralytics, and he healed them. 
Those disciples experienced the miraculous and the supernatural because they gave up control. I, don't, I know we don't like to talk about the supernatural. It makes us uncomfortable, but it's who God is. And we see it all throughout the Old and New Testament, and it scares us. But I think it scares us as Christians because deep down inside, we struggle with this idea that someone else might be in control. The truth is, if Peter, Andrew, James, and John weren't obedient and didn't leave all the rest of the disciples, you could say that for them, if they weren't obedient and didn't leave everything and surrender control, they would have never experienced the wonders of God and they would have never fulfilled their purpose and made the impact that they made for the gospel. Entitlement stifles our growth and it restrains what the Lord wants to accomplish in us and through us. I was even thinking about this, and I don't want to sound too harsh, but it, it even affects church, and it affects how we worship. Um, I mean, just think about this. We, we have this expectation that we come into this building. We come and we get free coffee. We talk to people. We hang out. We sing some songs. We hear a message, get fed by our pastor. We walk out of these doors never having even considered that there might be more to it than that. He might be calling us to do something more. He might just be calling us to go. He might be calling us to go to the ends of the earth and be a missionary and take the gospel. Or he might just be calling us to serve once in a while at church. But I don't want to. I don't want to go there. But I, we're we're hesitant and resistant to say yes to God because we know if we did, we would lose control. But God knows what's right for us. We would rather stay in a place void of God's power because we aren't willing to trust God and give up control. Guys, that's scary. That's terrifying. So entitlement is a control problem, and we have to let go of it. So let's go back to Matthew 20, verse 5. It says, so you remember um, the master has found, he found these guys to come at 6 a.m. That's when the day started, and he found these other workers at 9 a.m. Verse 5, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. So 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock, he did the same thing. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. It's getting a little crowded in the vineyard. <laughs> and you can, you can kind of see what, what's about to happen here. It's getting a little crowded. So you got the 6 a.m. guys, the 9 a.m. guys, the 12 p.m. guys, the 3 p.m. guys, and the 5 p.m. guys that just showed up at the last minute. And God says, you know what? You go on in. You go on in. I can just, I can just feel the tension in the story building right here. Um, but it gets better. Verse 8. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said this to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. This is such a God thing to do, right? You know, like... You have these guys that just came in at the last minute, you know, these, these 5 p.m. guys. And right before quitting time, they just show up, and the master says, God says, you know what, I'm going to pay you guys first. That's, that's, such, a, that's such a thing that, that God would do. And I can just honestly just thinking about it just kind of frustrates me. <laughs> just the idea that those guys didn't have to work as hard, you know. They've been, they just showed up, you know. They didn't have Gatorade back then, you know. But I know the other guys are like, what is going on? We've been, we've been, uh, we've been working our, our tails off. And these guys just show up. Uh, verse 9 says, When those hired about the 11th hour came, 
Each of them received a denarius. Remember, a denarius is a day's wage. So you can just imagine this picture. It's, it's, uh, it's time to get paid. It's time for people to get their money, to get what they worked for. And you can probably just see a line forming. You know, you've got the 6 a.m. guys all the way at the back, and it just kind of, in order, goes this way. And you have the, the 11th hour guys at the very front. They get a denarius. What the 6 a.m. guys agree to, and you can just see if they get that, you can just kind of sense that, um, that the guys in the back of the line will be like, you know what, oh my gosh, if they got a denarius, then that means that I'll get two denarius or three denarius. Says, I don't know how to say that word, denarii. Um, but you can just see that happening. Verse 10. Now when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house. That word grumble is just funny to me. When, is word, when has grumbling to God ever worked out? You know. Um, so the last get paid first in this scenario, in this story. And they get paid the exact same as the guys who showed up at 6 a.m. Is that fair? I ask yourself that question. Is that, is that fair to you? When I'm reading this, when I see that, I'm thinking in my heart, I'm like, no, that is not fair. <laughs> they did not earn that money. Um, but that's how we get, though. You know, when something happens to us or when something doesn't occur in the way that we expect or think about, and I'm not saying it's as plain as that all the time, but the phrase that we, we think of and we say is, that's not fair. That's not right. But my second point is this. If you feel like something's not fair, this is my second point, remember what we're actually entitled to. Remember what we're actually entitled to. Uh, remember in verse 8, he says that he, he called them in to pay them their wages. The word wages right there in verse 8 is interesting to me because it makes me think of Romans 6.23. It says, for the wages of sin is death. You can't overcome entitlement until you understand that apart from Jesus, we are all entitled to hell. All of us. Every single one of us. Psalm 14, verse 3 says, There is no one who does good. Not even one. You may be thinking to yourself, I'm a good person. I do this and I do that. I know there's, there's been surveys done where people get asked if they think they'll go to heaven or not. And usually the number one answer is, I'm a good person. So yes. Romans 3.23 says, All have fallen short of the glory of God. So this got me thinking, if we're all entitled to that, it got me thinking about who, who are the best people that have ever lived. Have you ever thought about that? Like, It says that, we're, that we all deserve death, that we all deserve hell, but there's been some really good people. There's been some really good Christians. And there's been people that I feel like Maybe there's a chance, you know, that they deserve, that they actually deserve what they're entitled to, you know, to get what they want um, because they've earned it. These are some people that I came up with. I thought, about, um, I thought about Mother Teresa. I don't know if you guys know much about her, but she's considered the greatest humanitarian to ever live in the 20th century. If you ever get bored, just read up on some of the stuff that she did to help people. It's crazy. But apart from Jesus... She's entitled to hell. 
thought about Lottie Moon, a missionary to China. I don't know if you know this, but she, she died on the mission field. That, that's the rumor is that she, she died from overexertion. She overexhausted herself. She died on the mission field. I think about all missionaries. You know, I think missionaries are, are heroes, man. Just that, that, the idea that someone would devote their life and go to the ends of the earth and take the gospel there. I thought about Billy Graham. Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but through all the kinds of media that were available, he preached to over 200 million people. That is insane. That is so many people, 200 million people. And it said this, it said that he led 3 million people to Christ. That's crazy. That's so many people. But even Billy Graham, apart from Jesus, he's entitled to hell. It got me thinking about this. Um, I know we just celebrated Memorial Day, but veterans. To me, if you're a veteran in here, thank you so much. I just, I, when I think about people that deserve, when I think about people that, man, we just need to honor them and respect them as veterans. But, you know, we just celebrated Memorial Day, and I'm kind of, I'm kind of an old soul. I love, I love history. I love things like that. Um, I don't know if you know this, but tomorrow's June 6th. Um, and I've got a picture um, I want to throw up. Um, should be number one, Madison. I want to throw this picture up. But when I think about who are the best of us, I think about this picture. Does anybody know what that is? D-Day. D-Day. Yes. Good job, kid. That's awesome. <laughs> um, D-Day. Isn't that crazy? Look at that. Look at all that stuff. It's crazy. There's a couple more pictures, too, if you want to cycle through those. Um, But I thought about this. Tomorrow is June 6th, and it's the anniversary of the D-Day invasion. June 6th, 1944. If you don't know much about D-Day, it was the Allied invasion into France to stop the evil Nazi regime and liberate the oppressed people of Europe. It was the largest amphibious invasion in military history. It was a part of Operation Overlord. It included over 150,000 troops, 7,000 ships, 11,000 aircraft. In total, after the initial invasion, 2 million troops. That is a lot of people. It's crazy. But ground troops landed on five assault beaches in France to try to establish a beachhead. And the expectation was, going into this, that casualties were going to be really high. They were going to lose a lot of men. They, they kind of knew what Germany had. They didn't really know, though, at the end of the day. But Germany had spent many years fortifying the beaches to prepare for an invasion. I want to show you this next photo, photo number four. Look at this photo. Is that not cool? That photo is called Into the Jaws of Death. There were over four million landmines. Machine gun nests were set up to crossfire over the troops trying to come ashore. It was a bloodbath in some areas, and particularly on Omaha Beach. Some people thought that when the paratroopers came in to um, pass the beaches into, further into France, that they would lose as many as 75% of them. But through this initial landing, it's believed that over 4,400 Allied troops were killed, the worst being on Omaha. The exact number is not exactly known. The battle right after this in the city of Normandy killed over, there were over 220,000 troops that died. These guys took it to the enemy. 
and essentially ran straight into hellfire. They looked death in the face, and they ran straight into it. But you guys know the rest of the story. We're not, we don't, we're not speaking German now, right? You know, like they won. They did it. But these guys, a lot like, to me, a lot like the rest of our men and women who serve in our armed forces, they're our best. But even the bravest of the brave and the best of the best, according to Scripture, are still all entitled to the same thing, hell. I've probably said that word 20 times today. I'm trying to see how many times... I can use that word. But eternal separation from God. There's nothing that we could ever do to earn our way to God. But thankfully, there's another half to Romans 6.23, if you remember that earlier. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look at this next part of the story. Go back to Matthew 20, verse 12. Remember that uh, they just grumbled at the master of the house for not getting what they deserve. And then they say this to the master. They say, these last only worked one hour, and you've made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to them, friend. You know it's about to be good when God starts with the word friend. Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker just as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first will be last. He's saying this and that. There's a lot in there, but this is the main thing to me. He's saying this. He's saying... Yes, I am generous to others. But remember, I've also been generous to you. We forget that. This is my last point, number three. Make peace with God's provision. Make peace with God's provision. In other words, make peace with God's generosity. Whatever you're walking through right now today, I don't know um, where you are. I don't know what you're going through, God does. But even if it's something awful, you can still give thanks because you still have more than you deserve. No matter what we face, we still have more than what we deserve, guys. Because remember what we're actually entitled to. That doesn't mean that it's simple or easy, but if you remember, but God's grace is sufficient, His power is made perfect in our weakness. I can't explain why God allows certain things to happen. I can't. That's probably the toughest question I know in my life that I've tried to answer and I've tried to figure out. Like, I don't know. I don't know why it seems that God moves differently among us. I really don't. He loves us all equally and the same. Jesus was for everyone. It was complete. It was for all. But I don't, I don't know but we have to make peace with his provision. I don't know, I don't know if you guys remember this, but it happens right before this in Matthew 19. I don't know why Jesus told this one guy that he had to sell everything and give it to the poor in order to inherit the kingdom. And then he told another guy that was next to him on a cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. I don't, 
I don't know why. I don't know why. But just like Brandon said last week, I don't know if you remember this, but he said you, can experience, you can't experience the calm without the storm. You can't experience the calm without the storm. Hurricane Matthew, I don't know if you guys remember that one. Hurricane Matthew scared me to death. My wife slept through the whole thing. <laughs> she could sleep through an earthquake, I think. Um, but she slept through the whole thing. It scared me to death. I didn't sleep a wink. And I remember when I woke up, I remember it was like 5.30 at our house. We woke up that morning. It was still raining. The wind was still blowing a little bit. Part of my fence had gotten blown down, and I was ticked about that. That's entitlement right there. At least my house didn't get blown down, you know. Um, but I just remember that feeling. You know, you could feel the pressure. It's different outside, you know. Um, but I just remember that feeling, that calm. And I would, I don't, I wouldn't have known what that felt like unless I had felt the hurricane just hours before. I had this thought too. Sometimes the calm can be a storm too. The enemy loves it when we get comfortable. He loves it when we settle in. Um, my little girl, Josie, she loves to be comfortable. <laughs> she loves to be held. But sometimes that's a storm too. The enemy can use that because it's a storm you can't see. Jesus said this. He never, he never said, if you follow me, that I'll give you everything you want. But he did promise this. He did say this. I've told you these things that you might have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. If you look back at that passage in Matthew 20, verse 14 and 15, I underline these words. It says, I choose. It says it twice, 14 and 15, I choose. He says, I choose to give. I choose with what belongs to me. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son so that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Guys, we can make peace with God. We can make peace with his provision because it's his punishment that has brought us peace. We're going to sing and worship in a moment. But before we do, I want to close with this. One word that keeps coming to my mind lately, and I'm a dad and I'm grateful to be a dad, but it's frustrating sometimes, you know? And I just, I lose sight of just how immensely blessed I am to be a dad almost every day. <laughs> my son will do something or say something, and I just, I'm like, ah, I don't, oh my gosh, I gotta walk away. This is nuts. I don't, I don't know how people do it. Kim Groves, I don't know how you do it. <laughs> but I just forget how I forget how grateful I should be to have those two beautiful kids and my wife. But one word that keeps coming to mind for me lately is gratitude. Earlier we looked at those pictures and we were able to look and see those men who were a part of who were a part of D-Day and we were able to find a sense of gratitude, I hope. 
Some of those guys came home. Some of them paid the ultimate price. But this gratitude that we feel from that often fades away. We've probably forgot about Memorial Day. That was just six days ago. It often fades away and we forget. But this is true. We can also look and find an even greater portion of gratitude by looking at the cross. We can look to our Savior Jesus, God's one and only Son, who at any point could have stopped it, but He laid down His innocent, sinless life, the living God, His innocent, sinless life, for us. And He went to the cross so that we wouldn't have to endure the wrath that we're actually entitled to. This form of gratitude can sustain any form of suffering. I know that. Or any feeling of entitlement that we encounter in this life. I'm not suggesting today that we just try to find the silver lining in everything anytime something goes wrong or we feel a certain way. There's not always a silver lining but there's always a crimson thread that we can cling to. A crimson thread that we can trace back to Calvary reminding us of the blood of Jesus. That it's on every page of our story and it speaks a better word. It runs through the valleys of our lives. It runs through the mountaintops it runs through the dark places. We can trace it through the wind and the rain, and it stands in the fire with us, and we are not consumed. It anchors us to the truth that God loves us immeasurably more than we could ever hope or imagine, and that He is good. Entitlement is born from unrealistic expectations, but I'll tell you this, guys. I never expected to encounter a love like Jesus. I could not in a million years wake up and put that together. The fact that Jesus loves me, it doesn't matter what I've done, it doesn't matter what I will do, what I won't do, his love will never change, it will never break, it will never change ever, no matter what. I never expected to encounter that. And it changes everything. The love of Christ changes everything. This is how we cure entitlement. We look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God. We look to the one and only one. We look to the only one who is actually entitled to his name, the name above all names, Jesus. Let's pray. God, we love you. God, open up our eyes this morning. God, open up our eyes to this, this reality, Lord, that it doesn't matter how good we are. It doesn't matter how bad we are. It doesn't matter what we can do for ourselves. God, you love us. And that is the one constant truth in this life, God, is that you love us and that you are good. God, if we've lost our gratitude for the cross, God, I just pray that you would give it to us right now. God, if we've forgotten how you have literally lifted us out of the pit of despair 
You have reached down from heaven and you have pulled us from our sin and you have ripped us from the clutches of death and held us in your arms. God, if we have lost that, God, we're asking you again for something this morning. God, give it to us. God, we need gratitude. We need gratitude. God, we love you. As we sing, God, move in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, we're going to sing. We're going to sing this song called Gratitude. Maybe you're here today. I just pray that something has, that God has, has spoken to you this morning. Maybe you just need to give up control today of your life. Maybe you need to surrender control to God because you're tired of doing it yourself. You're tired of doing it your own way. You're tired of getting the same results. Maybe you need to give God control today. Maybe you're here and God has revealed to you an area of entitlement in your life and you need to surrender that to him. Come down and pray. This altar is open. People will be here to meet you for prayer if you need that. Maybe you're here and you need to surrender your life to Jesus. Come down and do that this morning. Let's stand and let's sing. Let's respond to God today.